Amen. Thank you. Oh, I'm just going to say one thing about uh, life groups quickly as well. You don't have to be part of a couple to lead a life group. It just happens that everybody leading them is married. Hi, Danny. And so you don't have to be married to lead in this church. Um, but if you are married, we love you to lead together because there's something, you know, you are, you are one. And um, as Val prayed, you know, what the Lord has put together. So, yeah. So if you're single, you can lead in this church. Whoop, whoop. There's no, you've not got to rush to get married to become a life group leader or anything. Just want to confirm that. I know, but it's awful if you're single and you just see married couples leading. And then you think, oh, I've got to get married before I can do anything. That is just not true. Don't get married to lead. Get married because you've fallen in love with somebody. Um, and, the <laughs> and the other thing I just want to say about that particular life group is if you're not in a life group, I know you don't be put off by it being scientific. Go and visit because what you've got here is a lot of gifts coming out of two leaders. So you've got the gift of hospitality. You will never feel as welcome as you do in that home. Hazel has the spiritual gift of hospitality and she just loves incredibly. Andrew is an anointed teacher, so you're going to get amazing teaching as well. Plus they have a really huge pastoral heart and are really good at loving and encouraging people and just letting you be. So letting you be and moving you on. So that is going to be a really special group. So if you're not in a life group, wave your, wave your hands. If you're in the church but not in a life group, oh, well, well done you all. You're in life groups. <laughs> okay. And the church is really empty now. All the kids and the youth have gone and everyone, isn't it? It's like really fun in worship. And then everybody goes out and it's like, oh, there's a lot of kids around, aren't there? And a lot of young people. That's good. Right. Grab your Bibles on your iPhones if you must. And... Um, Turn to Romans 8, because we are launching today our new series on identity. So some of you have been here as we've done identity. We tend to look at it once a year, because um, who wouldn't want to look at identity, who we are? And so once a year, we tend to go through just the foundation of identity and what as a church we, we believe and, and where we're coming from and where we're going together. So we're going to start in Romans 8 this morning. And we're going to begin with a question. I stole this from Dave. He does this all the time. You have to ask yourself a question now. Do you believe that God is feeling towards you sad, mad, or glad? Don't worry, church. I'm not going to make you tell your friend or get up or do anything. But just have a think about that for a moment. That's your moment. Right. If, if you... Um, <laughs> that was a quick moment, wasn't it? If... How you see the Father, the lenses in which you see Father God, what you believe about Father God will affect who you think you are. Amen. It will affect who you think, not only who God thinks you are, not only who you believe God created you to be, but it will affect who you are and how you live and how you behave, and it will affect all things. Because the scriptures are clear that you're created in his image. So if you think God is in sitting in the heavens doing as he pleases, as it says in the Psalms, we say it all the time, he sits in the heavens and he does as he pleases. And if you think as he sat in the heavens doing as he pleases, he's looking down at you thinking, you know what, you disappointed me a bit today. Oh, well, not so much. I'm not really enjoying your company. You, come on, I'm a little bit disappointed. Or if you think he's sat there saying, 
that's it. I'm so cross with you now. I'll wash my hands of you. You know, I'm done with you. You're not all you. And if that is who you think Father God is, it will affect how you live and how you behave. It will affect how you interact with God, how you speak with him, how you are with him, how you are with Jesus, how you are with Holy Spirit. It will affect your relationship with the Trinity. It will affect your relationship with one another, your brothers and sisters in Christ, your friends in the workplace, your family, people in the world. So it's really important that we understand who God is and that we understand the simplest of things of him, that he is good. God is good. We were singing, weren't we? You are good. You are good. He is good. And once we believe in the goodness of God, once we understand that he is good, he is a loving father, he delights in you, he pleases in you. It says in the scriptures that he sings over you. There are hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that tell you how much the Lord loves you. And as we go on this morning, I'm going to hopefully help us to journey to truly believe just how wonderful and how lovely he thinks you are. How worthy. We were singing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. And um, years ago, Jen Johnson shared a, a picture that she had in worship. And she was worshipping and she saw the armpit of God. And she said it was like a mirror. And as she was worshipping, you are worthy, you are lovely, you are, you know, I adore you. This mirror was reflecting those words back down to heaven. And he was saying, no, you are worthy. I love you. I adore you. You know, what, what we lift up in praise, he reflects back to us because that's who he is. He loves you. He thinks you're worthy. He thinks you're worthy of the blood of Jesus. He adores you. So as we go through this morning, we want to definitely, the one thing we want to do is make sure we leave here today knowing he is good. Not that we sing it in church, not that we say it to each other. In the Anglican church, they say things like, peace be with you and also with you. But you can leave that peace be with you and feeling really tense and stressed. We can say things but not necessarily mean them. So we want to know that we want to leave today. We also are singing like, awaken my soul. He's awakening my soul. So right now I awaken your spirits. I awaken your soul and your heart to receive the good news that he is good. He is good. It's what the Bible tells us. And the Bible is true. It's our truth. It's our foundation. It's our truth. He is good. So we're going to look at that. We're going to start in Romans. We're going to look at Romans 8. And we're going to look at 14 to 16 to begin with. I think it's wonderful too. So because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him, by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Then the scriptures tell us, earlier in the scriptures, it tells us that we are body, soul and spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Who knows the Holy Spirit dwells in us? This one you can raise your hands. Good. And we know that the Holy Spirit is always communicating with our spirit. Who knows that, this, that your, your spirit and the Holy Spirit are communicating. The Holy Spirit is always there. Get, you know, we say, or the world says, oh, I've got a gut feeling. That isn't a gut feeling. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come on, this is what heaven's saying. It's not a gut feeling. It's your spirit awakening to his spirit. The Holy Spirit loves to communicate with you. And here he's communicating in this piece of scripture, the Holy Spirit's communicating you are a child of God. That's the message he's trying to get through to you. You are a child of God. 
And the Holy Spirit's telling you that all of the time. He's saying, call him daddy. Call him daddy. Because of me, you get to call him daddy. Because of Jesus, you get to crawl up onto his knee. Because the veil was torn, you can crawl up and you can say, daddy, Abba. The direct translation is Abba, is daddy. You get to call him daddy or papa or whatever you want to call him. But you get to call him daddy. And he's not like your earthly father. It doesn't matter how good your earthly father is. Your earthly father is flesh. And they don't always get it right. Your, your father in heaven is perfect in all of his ways. He is perfect in all of his ways. And his intentions are good. His intentions for you are good. And the Holy Spirit is always bearing witness to the spirit of a person. And here it is about the identity of a child of God. This is what it's all about, who you are. And you are a child of God. So just tell the person next to you, you're a child of God. If you haven't turned on the person behind you, Danny, come sit with Dave and tell him he's the child of God. Get out of the back anyway. I've got another one of your friends that likes to sit at the back. Come on, come sit with Dave. He's on his own because I'm up here. Oh, Danny, that's, that's the worst excuse ever, isn't it? I've got to go in a minute. Um, so identity is really, really important. It's so, so important that God wants you to know who he is. Because through knowing who he is, it's how you know who you are. And right at the beginning in Genesis 1.27, it says, God created mankind in his own image. Why? Why did he bother to create you in his image? It's not because he's like, he needs everyone to know who he is. It's because he cares. He cares about his identity. Because knowing who he is helps us to know who we are. And that's why he cares. He cares so much about his identity And he wants so much to be known that he created each and every one of us in his image that he might be known through your brother and sister in Christ. Each, the person next to you was created in the image of God. Just look at the person next to you, to the side of you, behind you. Each one of you was created in the image of God, which means in each of you, there is a revelation of Father God waiting to just jump out. There's a revelation of who the Father is in you. Regardless of your situation and your circumstance, regardless of what's going on in your world, it doesn't change the fact that you were created in the image of God. And that image of God is just waiting to be revealed. You're the image of your father. You know, people say when babies are born, they'll say it if it ever comes out of space, that, um, you know, oh, doesn't he look like his dad? Oh, isn't she like, you know, people say that, oh, you're the spitting image of your father. And you are the spitting image of your father. You are the spitting image of your father in heaven, of creator God, of the one who made the stars and named them all, of the one who created the whole of the universe and all of creation. That father not your earthly father. You may look a bit like your earthly father in the flesh, but in, in the supernatural, in the spirit realm, you are the spitting image of your father, of Father God. That is good news, isn't it? Isn't that good to know you look just like your dad in heaven? He wants you to know who he is so that you can know who you are. Identity was so important right at the beginning of the word. In Genesis chapter one, God was dealing with our identity. He started the very story in the beginning of chapter one. And he goes right through to Revelation dealing with our identity. Because he says, when you get to heaven, you're going to get a new body. You'll be robed. There'll be no tears. There'll be no pain. There'll be no suffering. He's taking stuff from us and, and you know, remaking us in his image in this perfect heaven that's created for us to be for all of eternity with him. From the beginning of the book to, in Genesis all the way to the end in Revelation, God has weaved this wonderful story of identity. Like David was talking last week 
week about, you know, who we are, who we are and who God is. In Romans, we're going to read a big bit now, Romans 8, 18, and then we're going to go to 27 to 39. So we'll start at verse 27, actually. So uh, actually, no, we're going to start at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what he ought to pray for us, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Spirit intercedes for you with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts, he's always searching your heart, knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in according with God's will. So we're going to go back a little bit further to verse 19 where it says the that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So in verse 19, it's telling us here that creation is waiting in eager expectation, a bit like Stacey and Chris are waiting in eager expectation for this baby to arrive. Uh, Come on, baby day. Um, In eager expectation. You know, that eager expectation is like a child on Christmas morning when they realize Father Christmas is their presence. Who's, who lives with kids or has lived with kids and had to deal with that level of excitement, which is just not even humanly possible? You're like, how on earth can it be 4.30 a.m. and you are running around with a pile of presents squealing like a crazy thing? It's not fun, really, is it? You think it's going to be fun. You're like, oh, and then you're like, oh, well, it is, but in a like, ow, it really hurts. It's so early. How long is this day going to be? Is there going to be enough coffee to see us through it all? You know, that eager expectation, that, that feeling where your stomach is like twirling and whirling and your pulse is racing and you're getting a bit sweaty and clammy. And that fee- that's what happens when we wait in eager expectation for something. You know, our, our whole body responds to it. And the whole of creation here is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That's you. That is you. Creation is waiting in eager expectation that you might rise up and say, this is who I am in Christ Jesus. This is who I am. I am the spitting image of my father. And I am I am learning to be like Jesus. And Jesus came to reveal the Father. So I am going to live a life that reveals the Father. And creation is waiting for you to do that. But we can't do that, as David was saying last week, when we drag all our baggage along with us. Because what we reveal is... um, like everyone else in the world, <laughs> I've got all my junk. And of course, we have got our junk, but we have the cross. We have the blood of Jesus. And we have wonderful ministries that can help us get rid of our junk so that we don't have to walk with it. We can do the job at hand, which is revealing the Father. You were created in the Father's image. He revealed himself to you in your identity and in your creation. In, in you, he revealed himself to you and to the world. Your job is to reveal the Father. That is what you were created to do. And identity is important. And it's not just important to you that you can live free. It's important to the whole of creation. Because creation is eagerly waiting in expectation, crying out for you to know who you are. That we may know, it says in verse 22, that we know that the whole of creation has been groaning, sorry Stacey, as in the pains of childbirth. You don't know that yet, do you? Anyway, sorry. (laughs) I break that off you. I break that off you. There'll be no pain. You're just going to sneeze and the baby's going to fall out. Amen. Someone just say amen to that. Like, yeah, amen. 
Oh, so here in this scripture, we've got this wonderful scenario in verse 16. It says the Holy Spirit has been working to reveal our identity to us. So Holy Spirit's busying, interceding with your spirit, waking up your spirit, going, wakey, wakey, this is who you are. He's revealing your identity. In verse 19, it says creation has been groaning that we receive our sonship so we can be revealed to a lost and broken world. In verse 19, it's saying that, you know, it says that creation is waiting in eager expectation. Then in verse 26, it says the spirit helps us in our weakness. He intercedes for us. Who needs the spirit to intercede for them? It can't just be me that is so thankful every day. I forget that Holy Spirit's interceding for me. I forget that. And I get bad-tempered and ratty and overwhelmed and tell Dave I'm going to quit. That's, that's me. It's too much. It's too hard. I can't do it. I'm going to quit. And, um, and that's just having to clean the bathroom. I forget the Holy Spirit is interceding for me. And when I remember this scripture, Holy Spirit is interceding for me. Do you know what it does? It gives me strength. It gives me strength to face whatever it is the challenge in front of me is. The strength I need to face the day. The strength I need to get out into a lost and broken world and reveal the Father to the people around me that need to know who he is. I can't do it without the Holy Spirit interceding for me. And I am thankful that he intercedes for me. In my weakness, he doesn't just become my strength. He intercedes for me. Isn't that good news? Aren't you thankful? It gets better though. Hold on to your seats. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, he was raised to life. He died. He was raised to life. He's seated at the right hand of God. Wait for it. He's interceding for you. Jesus Christ not only went to the cross and died and bled for you, He now intercedes for you. Come on, that is good news. Who needs to know today that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are sat in the heaven with Father God interceding for you? They are there, Jesus and Holy Spirit, and they're saying, Father God, this is what Phil needs today. I'm going to stand in the gap for him. Father God, you see Iona? She needs to walk. The Holy Spirit is saying, Deborah, Karis, you know, those tears, they're right there. Jesus, Holy Spirit, are taking those tears in bucket loads to the Father and saying, come on, Father God, break in. This is the day of your breakthrough. This is the day where he says, no, no more hurt, no more pain, no more suffering, because you've got Jesus and the Holy Spirit interceding for you. That's got to be better than any prayer ministry team, I'm just saying. I mean, you guys are great, but I, I mean, Dave says, Val, go pray. And I'm like, oh, man, here we go. You know, like, I want a powerful woman like Val praying for me, someone that's always in the secret place, someone who, you know, she walks into the prayer room and my eyes are closed and Dave and I look at each other and say, Val just walked in. Her presence, she brings Jesus with her. We're aware of her presence. I'm thankful for friends like Val. But come on. I love you, Val, but you're not Jesus. You're not Holy Spirit. They're interceding for you, church. That is good news. So we've got Holy Spirit working in you. Amen. Creation groaning. That's going to be a lot of noise. And Holy Spirit interceding. And Jesus Christ interceding. And do you know what they're all crying out for? That you would know you are a son of God. That is their prayer. That is their cry. Creation, Jesus, Holy Spirit. God, let them know who they are. Let them know. If you knew who you are. 
Could you imagine the type of world we would live in? If each of us truly knew, if we walked a life, if we walked out of this door, stood firm knowing that Jesus and Holy Spirit are interceding for me. I am a child of God and I came to reveal the Father. Imagine what kind of world we would live in if we were all living like that. I think it'd be amazing. And it says, you know, in verse 15, I'm just going to go back to verse 15. Um, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. Good news. You did not receive a spirit that's going to make you a slave to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. That is what he gave you. That's what his deposit to you is a spirit of sonship, that you are a son of God. It's it's a sealed deal. You can't rock it. You can't change it. And Bill Johnson always says there's this revelation in each of us of the significance of our adoption, of who we are, waiting to be received and revealed. We have to receive it before we can reveal it. Who wants to receive it this morning? Come on, just grab hold of it. Just say, let's just say together, Father God, would I receive this this morning that I might know who I am in you? that I may understand the prayers of Jesus Christ and Holy Spirit and that I may be a living example of that answered prayer. Just imagine. Just imagine. So, you know, it's good news because God chose you and me. He chose us when we're dead to sin and we didn't have any other option, didn't he? He picked us anyway. We were dead to sin. We had no other options and he came. Yeah, God chose you, okay? You might think you chose him because you wandered up the front of church that somebody yelled like, give your life to Jesus. And you were like, yeah. And you prayed that prayer They walked and they gave you a Bible. And you think, yeah, I chose him. Not true. He chose you. He was just waiting for you to come into agreement with it. God chose you. He chose you. And creation, Holy Spirit, and, and the Son of God are groaning and interceding that you would receive your adoption and that you would do something with it. You weren't meant to just receive it and sit on your sofa and go, I'm a child of God. Thank you for the blessings. That wasn't your role. Your role was to get up with that knowledge and to take it out into a lost and broken world and reveal the Father that someone else might too know who they are in Christ Jesus, that someone else too might get set free, saved, healed and delivered and know who they are and know exactly the price that God paid for them. Someone else in your world There's someone in your world. There's someone you see every day. It may be you sit with them at the bus stop in the morning. It may be the the Tesco checkout every day you go in. They may be in your university, on your campus, in your home, in your workplace. There's someone in your world that is waiting for you to step up as a child of God and reveal the Father and to say to them, he chose you. God chose you. And do you know what? In In the world today, to know you are chosen... It's really important. And I think evangelism is going to change in the coming season. I don't think anymore we're going to see evangelists that are going to be yelling at crowds of people, telling them, make a commitment and come to Jesus. I think we're going to see a wave of evangelists that are going to say, he chose you. Do you want him? He chose you. Because we don't need to be told to come. 
anymore. There are people in this, all over the world is full of pools, Instagram, Facebook, you know, you go into a university campus and you've got gender neutral toilets, you've got to decide, am I male or female? I don't know, I thought it was a girl, but the losers, I'm not even a girl anymore. Like kids that are told that they can choose their identity. Children are being told, pick your gender. I mean, come on, that wasn't God's plan. The world is torn and confused, and there are really confused, confusing choices out there for people to have to make. There are, our purity is being challenged constantly, our moral standing is being challenged constantly. If you are a white man and a Christian, you're a minority group in this world. You, in the UK today, if you're white and you're male and you're a Christian, you're a minority group. And you don't, you know, people really don't want to hear from you. They're not really interested if, you, if that's who you are. You're a minority group, and actually God needs that to change. He needs us to stand up and say, hey, we're not the minority. We're the children of God. We're a mighty army. We carry heaven. We're carriers of heaven, and we've got something to release. And it's not about you having to make another complicated choice. It's you were chosen by the creator of creation. And the world needs to know that. And that is why it says that creation is groaning in eager anticipation. It's not just people. It's the whole of creation is crying out that you would know who you are. Because you have a job to do. You're heirs, but you're co-heirs. And that means you have to do something. You don't just get to sit down. I always, This is my favorite line. I love that you are not I always say that the, the only people that get the right to spectate in the Bible, the only spectators in the Bible are the cloud of witness. And they're dead and they've earned the right. You lot are alive with a pulse. You've not earned the right yet. You are participators until that day you get to glory. You are participators. You were not born to spectate. When you get to heaven and you're sat with a cloud of witness, then you can cheer people on. Don't sit on the sidelines cheering people on. Because there's nothing you can say, really. You know, no, the church doesn't need more people on the sidelines grumbling and giving, like, giving orders. Like, to the left, to the right, you know, past. We, we've got enough people, you know, telling us how to do things. The church doesn't need more people on the sidelines yelling what commands and moaning and complaining. The church needs participators. It needs people that are going to stand up and say, I am a child of God. And I am going to, Christ said he'd build the church, but I'm jolly well going to help him. And I'm going to take the revelation of the goodness of God out into a lost and broken world. Because that's what you were created for. It says in the word of God that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That's you. You are the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to the lost and broken world. He has chosen you as his vessel to take the goodness of God out there. He chose you. And he is good. He is a good God. He is such a good God that not only did he send his son to the cross to die for you, not only did he then deposit the Holy Spirit for you, he's got them both in heaven interceding for you. That is how good our God is. That is the goodness of God. Who believes in the goodness of God? Yeah. Who feels differently? Who feels differently knowing that Jesus and Holy Spirit have laid their lives down to... um... And now I'm going to share something with you that I wasn't actually going to share, but I'm just going to put these notes away so I don't chicken out because I wasn't actually going to share this, but I actually think we probably can handle it. So in my... um... Dave's giving me a look. In um, my quiet time this week... I was reading the book of Haggai, and it really stirred me, because 
it's, it's about the... It, it's, right, okay. So we're going to have a look at the book of Haggai. Go to the book of Haggai. You're going to have to bear with me because I haven't really planned this and I'm just throwing all my notes away. And But I think, we're gonna, I think we can do this. So it's about the rebuilding of the temple. And it says the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. So we're in the book of Haggai. And it says, I can't think where it's somewhere in verse one it says, let's see, you'll have to bear with me because I didn't, wasn't going to, it's somewhere in verse one anyway where it says, the time has not yet come. Is it? Oh, is it? Okay. Verse two says, chapter one. On the 20th, yeah, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came, yeah, through speak, yeah, and it says, um, yeah, the time has not yet come. Anyway, so it made me think, why? Why is the time not yet come? Surely it's always the time to come to rebuild the temple. I don't understand this, Lord. What do you mean the time has not yet come? Of course, it's not exactly what you meant. But it goes on to talk about um, the rebuilding of the temple. And um, this is just my mangled thoughts from a quiet time. But it talks about going up to the mountains and getting the materials that you need to build with and bring them down from the mountain to build. Go up the mountain and get your timber and bring it down to build. And... um, and I thought, what does that mean, Lord? Go up, and I, I realised that He's not calling us to go up the mountain and bring home planks of wood to build a temple. He's calling us as a people to go up to the mountain, to go high with Him, and to be filled with the resources of heaven, that we may come down the mountain with the materials, the goodness of God, and all of the resources of heaven that we need, that we could partner with Him to rebuild the temple here on earth. And it says that, you know, um, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? And some of us have seen something of the glory of God, and it frizzled out and went away. Who's been there? Who's seen something of the glory of God? Who's had those, raise your hands high, come on church. And then who's, like, now keep your hands high if you've seen it. Then who saw it sort of frizzle out, like a little revival that frizzled out? There was hope, and then it was like, what didn't we do? Why weren't we stewarding it? Why didn't we see more? It was a moment of glory, but it wasn't sustained. And we've all had those experiences, haven't we? And I think, as I was reading it, the Lord was saying, it's because you don't keep coming up the mountain. Because you come down the mountain and you feast on what I pour out and there you stay. And you weren't called to live (laughs) on the earth. You were called to live in heaven. You're journeying to eternity, but our prayer is on earth as it is in heaven. So until we need to live, till we live eternally on earth, we're not going to see the glory of the Lord. So we're called to live an eternal life. We're called to live in heaven on earth, to heavenly. So, do you know, the people say they were of, what's that saying? You're of so heavenly minded, you have no earthly use. I mean, No wonder the church is struggling when the church has spoken that over God's people. No, I'm so heavenly minded that the Lord can use me well on earth, that I can represent him well on earth. So we're called to be heavenly minded. We're called to be in the heavens, looking down. We were not meant to look, go up the mountain and have these mountaintop experiences and then come down into the valley and wander with our friends like... Do you remember that former glory? It was good, wasn't it? I wonder how we could get it back again. I don't know. I mean, I felt all fuzzy and warm when we saw a bit of breakthrough in those seasons. We were never meant to be in the valley. We were meant to stay on the mountaintop. And it goes on to talk about 
well, who is you? Who's left? And how does it look now? And does it not seem to you like nothing? And I thought, do you know what? Sometimes it does. Sometimes to me it does. I remember my mum going off to Toronto because she'd heard about an outpouring. And my mum drove to the local supermarket and to her place of work, which was the hospital. She couldn't even take us to the dentist as a child because she would get lost. We would have to print off a map and guide her. She got lost everywhere. She couldn't even put petrol in her car. There was a man in the village that done it for her. You know, you went to the petrol station. And when that petrol station closed and they, she had to go to the supermarket to get her fuel, she cried and my dad had to take her for four weeks and teach her how to fill her car up with petrol. I mean, she was not, she'll say herself, she wasn't brave and she wasn't courageous. She liked to be where my dad was. But she heard of an outpouring and she went with two friends and said, I'm going to Toronto. Right, Mum, you're going to Canada? Yeah. You won't even go to Sainsbury's without Dad. What do you mean you're going to Canada? I'm going to Canada. Why? Well, the Lord's pouring something out and I want it. And we were like, who is this woman? I mean, like, Dad, is this safe? I mean, how is she even going to manage an airport? Like, it's insane. And off she went. And she came back with these stories. Now, my mum doesn't cry. She's not a crier. She's a nurse. She's like, pick up your bed and walk. That's her prophetic word for every situation. Pick up your bed and walk. You know, she's not interested in your hurts or your physical pain. You know, if you're sick, stay upstairs until you get better. If you're emotionally sick, have a beef stew and a slice of lemon cake. And there, there, suck it up, buttercup, come on. It's not as bad as the cross, after all. Crucifixion was worse. You know, she's not a big, sympathetic lady. She got to Toronto, burst in tears, and laid on the floor for the best part of 24 hours crying I was like but you cried who are you like what's going on and I can remember her coming home telling me about the Holy Spirit and I was like wow and she's like yeah and we're going to have these meetings and it's all going to be the same here and and then suddenly it was and then it wasn't for a moment it was wonderful for a moment people it wasn't so wonderful as a teenager because people got filled with the Holy Spirit and made really weird noises at the dinner table when you said grace. It's like, what's that? It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. She sounds like a farmyard animal. Are you sure, mum? You know, there was a lot of funny stuff that went on as well. I get it. There was manifestations of the flesh. But, you know, we saw things like we'd never seen before. After that trip, we, I saw for the... I experienced prophetic dancing. I'd never seen that before. <laughs> it was an eye-opener. But it was, there was beauty in it prophetic words and people just spontaneously singing out people being healed we saw things that I wasn't in church in that time but I thought if I could go back for this that I could go back to this looks like something of the bible it looks like more than just a club with a whole load of rules you know and we saw something and then it frizzled out unless you're these two and you didn't catch the fire and then it didn't frizzle out but it just you know <laughs> but that so we've seen something haven't we and who hungers for more all of the time I hunger for more. I am dissatisfied, not with Jesus and not with my life, but I'm dissatisfied with the outpouring. I'm dissatisfied constantly. I'm cross if I pray for someone and they don't get healed. I'm cross when I pray and I don't see the dead raised. And I will pursue that all of my days. And I'm going to say it. We have stood in the crematorium in the behind the scenes at the furnace and said there are four men in the fire get up and we have stood in the crematorium Phil and Debs and Dave and Danny who's just left we stood there and the guys that seen were like this probably isn't really very legal I'm like we don't care about law we care about Jesus Christ of Nazareth get up in the name of Jesus and we sang and I went home and I was not happy 
we broke trauma off because I was a bit worried. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm a church leader and I've just led us into a crematorium and we've just watched a body burn. That probably isn't okay. We broke trauma off and the only thing that I was left with was a dissatisfaction. I will not watch another friend die. I will not let the enemy come and take my friends. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. There were four men in the fire. Get up. You know, and I want to see the dead raised because I don't want the enemy to win. And sometimes I'm dissatisfied because my word tells me there's more. My word tells me that Jesus raises the dead, that Lazarus came out of the tomb. He threw off his grave clothes. And yet I don't see that. And I want to know why. And as I read this book, I think I found out a little bit. Oh, it's Andy. We've got longer. I think, hey, we love Andy. We love you, Andy. Anyway, I think I found out a little bit why. I said to Dave, I think I'm starting to get it. Because it says, be strong and work, for I am with you. Be strong and work. You've got a job to do. Church doesn't just happen, but it's church. Church is God's plan. He plans us. His people meeting together. Church is God's plan for this, for this world. Because church is what Jesus is coming back for, people. You are the bride of Christ. And church is what he's coming back for. It says clearly, he's not coming back because you prayed the sinner's prayer. He's coming back for his bride. That's what he's after. And it's got to look radiant. And it's got to look bright. And it's got to look like the church we see in the book of Revelation. It's got to represent Jesus, hasn't it? I'm, oh, I think I'm the only one hungry for this. And it says, so be strong and fight and work. And then it says, and I will fill this house with glory. Who doesn't want the house to be filled with glory? Come on, I want this house to be filled with glory. And he says, I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. There it is again, people. I have chosen you. You are his plan. You tell the person next to you, you're God's plan. You're God's plan. And yeah, and don't, now who thinks he may have made a mistake there? I think, God, I can't be your plan. Are you kidding me? I mean, I get that Dave could be your plan, but me? No, you must have made a mistake. But he's like, no, you, you, Holly, you are my plan. And you have a job to do. You have to work and you have to be strong. So it says, go up the mountain and speak to the Lord and bring down what you have and build with it and be strong and work. And it says strong in this scripture four times. In verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, but now be strong. And then it goes on to say, be strong, O Joshua. And then high priest, be strong. And then all of you people work for I am with you. It says four times in these scriptures, it says, be, sorry, three times in the scripture, it says, be strong. In one verse. Now, we all know, all Bible teachers will tell you, I'm sure, Mr. Lane, that if a word is used more than once, it's because God wants your attention. He wants your attention. So what does it mean to be strong? It means having power to move heavy weights or to perform other physically demanding tasks, to be able to withstand force. Can you withstand force, church? Because you're called to be strong if you want to see the temple rebuilt and if you want to see his glory. Can you withstand force? This last season, we've had to withstand force. We've had to withstand force. We've had to, in the last year, we've had to withstand sickness in our family. That You know, three, we've got four living parents. Three of them nearly died last year. That's how the, we had to withstand force. No. 
you are not going to take us out. We've had behind the scenes church, we've had abusive emails, we've had curses on our marriage, we've had our character slain, we've had people talk about us behind our back and gossip about us and say horrendous things, it gets back to us, we hear what people have said, we've had to withstand that force. The truth will be revealed. Let there be light, Lord. We are not going to fight. We don't need to worry about our reputation. We need to only worry about his representation. We will continue to represent you, Lord, and we will trust you with our reputation. We trust you with those that gossip about us, that slander us and speak ill of us. We've had to withstand force. We've had other things that we've dealt with. We've had to learn. Be strong. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, like Peter when he walked on the water. He stopped, didn't he? He fell when he took his eyes off Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I can't say I've done it always. Dave does. He's got a lot. He's steadfast and a man of character. He withstands force. He withstands force for me. Well, I say, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And then somebody says something encouraging. I'm like, okay, I can go a bit longer. I've got a few more days left in me, Dave. I'm learning to be strong. I have to be strong. You have to be able to cope with pressure and wear. You have to be able, you have to be active, you have to be capable, energetic. This is the the words the dictionary uses to describe being strong, able, active, capable, energetic, firm, robust. You've got to be robust, church. You've got to be solid. You've got to be secure. You need to be secure. You need to be steadfast. You can't can't waver every time the storms come. You've got to be steadfast. You've got to know how to stand. You need to be steady. You need to be substantial. You need to be vigorous. You need to be tough. And that's not Dave and I, just because we lead the church. It's you. You need to be all of these things if you want to see his house filled with the glory. Do you want to see his house filled with glory? I don't want to live off the former glory anymore. I'm tired of testimonies. I'm tired of testimonies from last week. You know what? Thank you, Jesus. But come on. That's an old testimony. And I love testimonies. I want to hear them. Of course I do. And I celebrate them. But do you know, I want more. I want more. I love when Phil and Deb send me pictures and I own a standing. But I'm like, that's not good enough. I want to see that kid run. (laughs) Until she's running, I'm not going to rest. Standing for a bit is wonderful. Thank you, Jesus. And I celebrate that. But that's not enough. I want her to run. I want to see broken hearts healed. I'm tired of watching the church walk around with their heart aching. No more broken hearts in the church. You know, but church, if you want this, if you hunger for this, you're going to have to be strong and you're going to have to work because we're a body and we're many parts. And it's not what Dave and I can do because we can't do it alone. It's what you can do. And you can only do it when you know who you are. And when you know whose you are, and you are chosen, you are chosen by a loving, good, good father who has sent his son to die for you, to bleed for you, that you may get access to the throne, that you may get access to your heavenly father. And he has deposited the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. That's how much he loves you. He's left his spirit in you. He loves you. And he's got them in heaven interceding for you, that you might know who you are, that you might be strong, that you might work, that we might see this house restored, that we might see the world restored, and we might see his glory over all the earth. Who's in? Come on, get on your feet if you're in. Let's pray. Just, I know you don't like it, church. I know you don't like it, but grab the hand of someone next to you. Last week, I made everybody laugh, and Dave was like, it's just the most uncomfortable. Dave doesn't like it. He grumbles too, but I'm not going to stop. Grab the hand of someone next to you. 
Come on, church, because this is it. We used to sing, didn't we? Bind us together, Lord, bind us. You know, we're meant to be together. We're stronger together. Bind us together in love. Father God, I ask that you would make us a people that are strong, that we are capable, able, robust, that we can withstand force, that we can withstand pressure, and that together we would lay down our reputation for your representation that we would know who we are in you that we would be filled to the measure of your goodness and your glory that we could partner with you to see your temple restored to see your house restored that Jesus when you come back you can walk into our midst and say church With you, I'm well pleased. We want to represent you, Jesus. So we commit ourselves today to be strong for you. To be strong for you. We lay aside our our preferences. We lay aside our complaints and our grumbling. As Bill Johnson said this week, if God inhabits my praises, then who inhabits my complaining and my grumbling? So we break off complaining. We break off grumbling and discontentment and we say Lord take it from us now as a people and replace it with hunger hunger for you hunger for your goodness hunger for your glory we hunger for your glory father God we won't rest until we see the fire by by night and the cloud by day we won't rest father God until we see dead bodies raised sickness gone in Jesus name We won't rest until we see broken hearts healed. And we won't rest until we see your world, your kids in your world, restored into a loving relationship with you. Father God, would you make us strong? Would you make us strong and show us how to work in the mighty name of Jesus? Amen. And we thank you for your church. Amen. We need to get our children. (laughs) Amen. You're dismissed, church. See you next week. Be strong.